so you know drawing up two pumps and programming them yeah. and flushing I them think that's and a, yeah. finding uh, you know asking them their height and their weight and uh, should I use the Schneider, <laughs> Schneider or the, or the <laughs> Marshall <laughs> which one should I yeah. use and then you know mm. yeah so all that faffing around programming pumps and make up syringes and stuff it's not really mm. it's pretty tricky isn't it and if you really want to get on with things you just want to draw up a mm. syringe profile and you know muscle relaxing and get on with it yeah hi everyone welcome back to the podcast uh this week we have um two guests and myself so i've got sneha who's done a few um recently with us before and perito who's a uh, fellow who's working here uh, with us at King Edward, um, and we have we were going to do a journal club. Um, we thought we'd talk about something interesting, and we found one re- one good article which is on one on a one topic really. So it's probably more going to be discussing um, the use of Teva for um, general anaesthesia for cesarean sections, um, based on this article that we found in um, IJOA, International Journal of Obstetric Anaesthesia, which is. Um, uh, the chief editor is Mike Pake, one of our uh, colleagues uh, who um, has previously done some podcasts. So thanks for coming along. Thanks for suggesting it, Perita. Oh, thanks for having me, Roger. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so we were going to talk. Uh, we were going to. F- um, I'll leave a link in the um, on the web page to the articles if people want to sort of download it or look at it later. But um, we're, we're going to sort of follow what they discuss. So this article came out in, um, 20, when did it come out? In April in uh, last year, 2022. Um, Nuala Lucas and a colleague in the, in the UK uh, wrote it. It's sort of it's a review article, sort of a narrative review really, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Talking about it because um, I think as a uh, obstetric uh, general anaesthesia is... Um, something that we all do fairly infrequently and I don't think there's any sort of randomised trials or any sort of high level evidence to investigate, you know, what's the correct technique. Mm-hmm. Um, so well, I thought before we dive into the paper itself, we maybe we should have a um, sort of background just discussion just to clarify the well, traditional, is, traditional yeah. practices that people have done and then what is TIVA. So what is the, um, I've been doing most of the talking, what is the traditional technique that you think most people have done for GA seizures? So usually it's propofol for induction and volatile nitrous as maintenance. Yep. And then, with and a f- muscle relaxant, whether that's yeah. sucks or rock. So sort yeah. of, the, even that's changed over time, isn't it? So thiopentone used to be the induction agent and uh, it's interesting that you said muscle relaxant because it used to be sucks. Mm. Uh, but now people are quite happy to use rock uranium, aren't mm-hmm. they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then, but most of the time for maintenance, people have used a volatile in plus or minus nitrous. Mm. And I guess over the years, it's just depended on what um, volatiles were the currently used at the time. Fashionable yeah. at the time. Yeah, yeah or, or available. Like yeah. I think probably, in a, in a, you know, if you go back far enough, it would have been, um, uh, you know, all the volatiles that they had, but, you know, definitely halothane, then isoflurane and influrane. And nowadays it's mainly sevoflurane. Mm-hmm. But I presume some places maybe even still use desflurane. But so it's usually been volatile, isn't it? Um, but obviously the, the topic of this paper was the use of TIVA uh, instead of a volatile-based anaesthetic. So I guess one question right from the start is what is what is TIVA? What do you guys think about that? Well, 
traditionally uh, total intravenous anesthesia would be maintenance of maintenance of anesthesia using propofol. Yep. Um, and you can use adjuncts with that to um, add to your anesthetic, but the mainstay would be a propofol maintenance using the Tiva technique. Yeah, I think Tiva. Um, like some people used to think Tiva meant propofol and remifentanil infusions, but mm. it's a bit more nuanced than that now, mm. isn't it? And um, uh, so sometimes you might do that, or sometimes you might just you know use a muscle relaxant and propofol and just a normal opioid, mm. or other things like. Ketamine, lignocaine, all sorts of other ways of doing it. Mm. Um, so just read my my, my sort of um, superficial take reading mm. through this article is they did tend to refer to Tiva in this review article anyway as uh, as if they were referring to propofol and remifentanil, even though I think in practice um, that's not always the case nowadays. Mm-hmm. And certainly in the way I've used Tiva in obstetrics, um, uh, it's more often not been that the case. Yeah. Yeah. It's usually propofol, fentanyl, propofol, alfentanyl. Yeah. yeah, and when the baby's out, you might give some long-acting mm. opioid mm. Uh, instead of fentanyl. And traditionally, TIVA was associated with MH patients before TIVA became a thing. We'd only really give it for yeah. people who had MH or potentially neuro patients. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, so it was often, like I think, uh, only ever really used in really special situations, mm. wasn't it? Mm. Yeah. It was, yeah. Yep. But now it's almost become common But now it's definitely practice, much more yeah. common, yeah. So what, uh, why is it becoming relevant? I think it's just because TIVA is becoming so common in mm. other areas of our, or aspects of our practice and we're using it so much uh, yeah. uh, all the time. Anyway, uh, a lot of people are saying, well, why we should think about using it for GA seizures. I've certainly come across trainees who use TIVA as their main practice and using Volatile would be... Not their main practice now. No, I know. Well, that's, that's the my practice has changed mm-hmm. a lot in the last five years. I, I used to use volatile anesthesia, but not that often. Mm. Um, so I think, and some trainees coming through, probably they may, depending on where they when they started and depending on which hospitals they go to, they may have hardly seen much volatile anesthesia at yeah. all. They may not even be seeing DES anymore since that's yeah. <laughs> kind of gone. Mm. So why do you use TIVA? What are the benefits? Why have you changed practice? to use Tiva as your mainstay. Well, I thought maybe we should probably just stick to what they, they the way they, um, the structured way they look at this question mm-hmm. in um, in this review article. So, and that, you're right there. So the first thing they do after talking about, you know, the role of it um, and the fact that it hasn't really been studied, but it's, um, is the potential benefits. So I think we probably are up to that, aren't we? Mm. Yeah. So the first one is effect on uterine tone. Do you want to tell us about that, Perita? Yeah, so um, traditionally, the traditional teaching is that um, volatiles can decrease the uterine tone. Yep. And um, yeah, this paper touches on a, on a few numbers for us. So um, it just mentions that um, sevoflurane reduces myometrial contraction in a dose-dependent manner um, with an effective dose, so ED50 of 0.9, um, which... You know, it's significant. Yes. Yeah, so what does that mean? I'm trying to figure that out. So, 50% reduction in the uterine um, tone. tone if you yeah. use a, 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 a MAC of 0. 0.4, 0. 0.94. Mm-hmm. That's quite a lot, isn't it? It is quite significant, I think. Yeah. yeah. And then, uh, what else? Um, and so, 
you know, the, 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 we're thinking about what the, what the effects of um, the re- reduced uterine tone is. And, um, you know, our main thing, the main things that jump out at me are PPH yep. and increased at re- risk of PPH. Um, and so we're obviously trying to think of ways where we can reduce these risks. Yep. And I think that's why, certainly in my practice, I was taught to switch to a propofol tevra technique once the baby was out. Um, yeah, so I think... Um, so. Something that didn't didn't come across that easily when, when you're reading that section is that, like, you know, obviously they're looking at, um, I think they've been, you know, looking at this just in isolation, not um, as we do in clinical practice where we mm. give a, bit, a bolus of oxytocin and run infusions and or give all these urotonics. Yeah. Um, yeah, so just because um, if you give superfluorine to a uterus without giving those drugs, it mm. seems to relax. Does it stop those things from working? And I think in... Observationally, most of the time, all those things still work. Because mm-hmm. we've, we've all here given, G- um, you know, lots of GACs mm. in the past using volatiles, and they don't all bleed to death. So, <laughs> um, so that's a bit of a nuanced thing. But I guess if you have got someone who you're struggling to control uterine tone, mm. and you're giving a drug that relaxes the uterus, it doesn't make pharmacological sense. It does. It does make. Sorry, it does make pharmacological sense to try and turn that off. Yeah. yeah. If you're struggling, yeah, for all the drugs you're giving are not working very well. Yeah. I think if you're using at least two uterotonics, you're probably thinking, oh, maybe I should yeah, try and do something to help the surgeons yeah. as well, Yeah, even so if it's small. or Yeah, so yeah. that doesn't necessarily mean um, you should um, use TIVA because we might get into that a little later, but mm. you can do things like give um, um, some opioids because usually the baby's out, obviously. So give opioids and, and or even add in nitrous. Um, which doesn't have much effect on your own tone. So in that, mm. in that way you can turn the volatile and the sevofluorine most commonly down mm-hmm. and hopefully that will help. Mm. So you don't have, you know, it's just some, some way of decreasing the volatile mm-hmm. to, try, to try and help. Um, that was good. And so interestingly, like sometimes you do actually want to relax the uterus, so using a volatile mm. is useful. Like when they do the exit procedure, you know, um, uh, when the baby has surgery on it and you, you don't want the uterus to contract because yeah. the... Uh, that could disrupt the placenta, or, and or if you get someone with a uterine inversion, or or they're having tr- trouble delivering a baby because there's u- uh, uterine tone is, is contracted around the baby and they can't mm-hmm. get the baby out. Yeah. Mm. Yep. So that's useful as useful drug sometimes. And the other one is with placenta creta. Yes. Um, surgeries if they're planning a cesarean hysterectomy, they often don't want the placenta then to separate, so you sort of withhold on the. Yeah. Um, Yep, so or you want to keep the uterus as relaxed as possible, so you, yeah, that's you, right. the volatile yeah. is benefit, potentially beneficial in that setting then. Yeah, because if a strong, yeah. vigorous uterine contraction could cause mm. um, the placenta to, to detach and then they could bleed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good point. So those times it's useful. Okay, that's good. Um, okay, this is a tricky bit. I don't know about you guys, but um, when, we were, when we read through, or when I read through this bit about the propofol, it was, t- it was talking about... Um, Different stuff. I got confused. Do you want to have a go, Perita? I can't have a go. So, yeah, I think that's a fair summary, Roger. That it is a little <laughs> bit confusing when you first read this very long paragraph on propofol concentrations in vivo, in vitro. But my take on it is that um, you know what, what they're telling us is that you know, obviously f- from our pharmacolog- pharmacological knowledge 95% of the propofol is actually protein bound 
Um, and this is all in vitro studies. So therefore, the unbound um, free concentration of propofol is actually um, quite small when they compare mm. it to the in vitro models. Yep. And so actually, um, you know, we're using very much, much smaller concentrations than what they've um, mentioned here. So... Well, I just read out what they've said, and then we can yeah, discuss so, it. Yeah. So, uh, so, so in summary, the in vitro studies show that it's mm. at high concentrations, propofol does relax the uterine muscle. Yeah. But what you're trying to say is that we don't have very high free concentrations in vivo when you use them in real patients. Yeah. Mm. And so it's not; it may not be relevant. No, exactly. Yeah. You want to read out what they said? Yeah. So, exactly. So, um, it just says that, however, in these in vitro findings. Um, we would see, seem unlikely to translate to a clinically relevant effect on uterine tone. Yep. More than 95% of the propofol in the blood is bound to plasma protein. Therefore, the free propofol concentrations that have a effect, significant effect on uterine tone equate to far higher levels of propofol than are required for anesthesia. For example, um, a free propofol concentration of 0.5 mics per mil in vitro is comparable to 9 to 10 uh, mics per mil of propofol in vivo. And during mm. maintenance of anesthesia, these target pro- concentrations of propofol are between 2.5 and 4. So, mm. yeah, we never yeah. use that no. high concentration, do we? we? Mm. We're clinically, we're never using nine, no. to, 9 to 10. That's just a massive overdose, isn't it? Massive. Yeah. Over double, yeah. All right. Have there been, yeah. Yeah, so there hasn't been um, many studies you know, directly looking at this, have they? Though it's just my, um, most of it's sort of in vitro stuff, but there mm. was a study on uh, looking at volatiles or TIVA in women having terminations of pregnancy in the first trimester, so like D's and C's sort of thing, mm-hmm. and that they found. Although we didn't, I haven't looked at, looked up the study, it just says that they found reduced blood loss with TIVA. Yep. I don't know how that ma- what that well, means for for a GA mm. Caesar. It doesn't mean anything. Who knows? But it's interesting. So yeah. So if at a f- you know. Laboratory level, propofol was better than superfluorine. Mm. And there's reasons to think that maybe it would be better in a, in a PPH if that's being caused by uterine tone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. What are the other benefits that they talk about? What's the next one? So, some effects on postoperatively. Yep. Um, so, I mean, traditionally we, we tend to use TIVA, like I said, for MH, but also to people with severe PONV. Yes. Can potentially reduce PONV post op. Mm-hmm. Um, and another benefit is that it tends to have a superior sort of recovery or quicker, more rapid recovery of the patient. So they tend to be a bit more um, clear-headed, a bit more, yeah, less drowsy, yeah. things like that. So um, I think that's, that definitely, is, yeah. that's definitely true if you do profile and Remy because um, I think you don't need mu- as much profile and Remy. Fenton wears off so fast. Mm. But uh, I have seen, you know, well, I have caused some patients to be very drowsy for a long time <laughs> too much propofol. Yeah. <laughs> but that could, um, so I guess potentially um, if they do have a quicker wake-up, then it could help with bonding of mother and bub and earlier breastfeeding and mobilisation. Yeah. Yep. So those would be some of the yeah. pros of, of running TIVA for section. Yep. Especially, yeah. yeah, if a woman's like vomiting for the next six hours, that's going to interfere mm. with interfere with her recovery and her bonding yeah. it's not very really pleasant mm. um, alright um, that was good well, the next thing they mentioned environmental impact so I guess um, I think you know we talked about this um, 
when I, when I did a um, podcast with Graham recently on nitrous, but sevoflurane, obviously, mm-hmm. or the, and the volatiles, you know, and nitrous oxide um, are bad for the for the atmosphere. So, Teva is good. Um, so I guess that's one one uh, other reason why a lot of people have moved to using Teva a lot more in their in their regular practice. And then I guess that, but um, you know, if you're using it. Tiva all the time for other anesthesia that you're providing, then you you think you think to yourself, well, I should do the same for a GA Caesar. Mm. Um, so we go. We won't go into the details mm. of that. Specific mater- maternal comorbidities. You've already talked about some of them, yes. Now you mm. talked about MH, MH is the classic. Yeah. Uh, malignant hypothermia or hypopyrexia for those who don't know the abbreviation, yeah. which is triggered by volatiles and succinothonium. Absolutely. And then to add to that list, um, intracranial pathologies, the paper mentions that. Um, So people with right raised intracranial pressure and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Or known pathologies such as aneurysms or anything like that. And then specifically also an advantage would be in the obstetric population for people with preeclampsia. Yeah. So with that... My take on that is that's that really um, it's the Remy fentanyl infusion mm. that, that's going to blunt any sort of hypertensive crises. Mm. To sort of, which is yeah, and Remy fentanyl infusion is a yeah um, component of Tiva, isn't it? But yeah. that's the sort of main. But you could give volatile in Remy fentanyl sure. and blunt those hypertensive mm. things. So. I suppose, and we touched on it, or we will probably touch on it a bit later on. But that having that. Um, no gap in anaesthesia whilst you're dealing with the airway. Yeah, we're going to do that next, aren't yeah. we? Uh, we're doing that next? Yeah, yeah. I think so. Well, mm. soon anyway. Yeah, yeah so that's... When we talk about that, when we talk about awareness. Mm. Yeah. Um, good. Yeah, so that's good. Um, I think we've covered most things there, so... Mm. Um, so what are some of the obstacles to Yeah, that's right. The barriers. So... We all, we want good a good flowing IV, mm-hmm. you know. Definitely. There's certainly people out there who wouldn't trust someone else's IV that they've some, that they haven't placed. But you know, yep. a good flowing IV with a, a chook's foot. Yep. Um, making sure that the propofol is drawn up and then directly attached to the patient is mm-hmm. really key. Yep. Because we can. That's a, you know, that you, how many times have we seen that whereby. They started the pump and it's not being connected. It's a pool of yes. propofol yeah. on the floor. Yes, that's right. You know, why are you not going to sleep? Yeah. <laughs> so you give the rock uranium and they yeah. do go to sleep, <laughs> but, they're not, but they're not really. That's right. That's right. Um, so, yeah, so we want a good flowing cannula. Um, we want to monitor their um, their anaesthetic. So yep. we want to have depth. some depth. So EEG monitoring. Mm-hmm. Yep. Pretty crucial, I think. So mm-hmm. I think this is my personal take. I don't think mm. they didn't really sort of say this in here, but I think um, they alluded to it uh, indirectly. But I think if you're going to paralyze someone and use Tiva, you should be using an EEG monitor on their head, yes. and you should be really good at interpreting it mm, appropriately. Because yeah. I think um, yeah, it's not the it's not the same as if you run as a volatile and you can measure the end tidal concentration in their breath and you know that that is the same as what's in their brain you sort of know you're giving enough mm. anaesthetic whereas with Tiva that's not the case and sure. you could definitely um, have someone we'll talk about this with mm. awareness in a minute but mm. you could definitely underdose someone mm-hmm. absolutely um, without knowing it um, 
they talk about the urgency of delivery. What do you guys think about that? So when you get, yeah, class, so so a classic or one of the most common reasons to do a GA Caesar is no time to do a block. So someone comes up with a ruptured uterus or a fetal bradycardia that hasn't resolved, and mm. you just want to get the baby out mm. and get them off to sleep in like two minutes, two or three minutes, or you know, probably not that fast, but yeah. it always feels that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, drawing up two pumps and programming them yeah. and flushing I them, think that's and a, yeah. finding uh, you know, asking them their height and their weight, and uh, should I use the Schneider, <laughs> Schneider or the, or the <laughs> Marshall? <laughs> which one should I yeah. use? And then you know, mm. yeah. So all that faffing around programming pumps and drawing, making up syringes and stuff—it's not really. Mm. It's pretty tricky, isn't it? And if you really want to get on with things, you just want to draw up a mm. syringe profile and, and a muscle relaxant and get on with it. Yeah. So that's that's a main. Bar- uh, that's a a good reason not to use it. So familiarity with the TIVA technique is yep. really important here, isn't it? Mm. If you don't do it yeah. normally in your non-obstetric practice and you're not used to, yeah. yep. to necessarily setting it up and exactly. knowing how to um, program the pumps and all of that. Yeah, then or yeah. even if you are happy yeah. to do TIVA occasionally, but um, in an emergency case where mm. you've got lots of other distractors and things mm. um, competing for your attention, it might be safer so that you don't make a drug error or something mm-hmm. to to not do Tiva if you not but if you but if you do use Tiva all the time and you're mm. happy to use it it's, it may not be that much mm. mental effort to set it up and run it because you do it all, all the time mm. yeah so I think that's a, like a they don't really talk about that in this paper but I reckon that's um, mm. quite a key thing mm. I think you know, yeah that's probably the difference between doing it safely and and it, it being effective and maybe mm. it, maybe not you shouldn't do it because it might it might be dangerous. Um, what about uh, so they do talk about the target controlled infusion models in pregnancy mm. uh, there's no all the modelling has been done on non yeah, yeah. obstetric patients um, or yeah healthy young non obstetric populations so yeah. you wonder do they need more propofol or do they need less propofol and that's probably on their true. volume of distribution yeah. you know it's all these other pharmacokinetic yeah. factors yeah and I don't I'd have to yeah. go back and read the papers too yeah. that might be true for lots of um, other areas of anesthesia too they've mm. probably done on, mostly on healthy patients having yeah. elective surgery lots of other you know, patients we use TIVA on all the time for, for mm. um, certain mm. things might, might not have been studied properly either that's what goes back to where you're using an EEG monitor and Yep. Being able to interpret the EG and the, and the number, not just the number that it gives you up, but actually the waveform and um, knowing that what, you know how how deep and how light they are. Mm-hmm. All right, so that leads us in. We are the next section they talk about is the risk of accidental awareness under general anaesthesia. Mm-hmm. Give us the stats, Brita. Yeah, <laughs> you've got the. I do. I think I do. we did summarise that before we started, didn't we? Yep. Yeah. So. Um, so we're talking about the NAP5 yep. project. Um, yep. So for, so people, for people who haven't listened, what is the NAP5 project? Oh, right. So it's uh, you, uh, the UK uh, perform a national audit project. Yep. And this was the UK's fifth national audit project where they looked at the um, uh, awareness during anaesthesia. And so what they found was that obstetric patients accounted for approximately 10% of reports, while obstetric general anaesthesia um, represented only 0.8% of the total number of general general anaesthetics given. Um, Which is more than I would have thought. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of elective surgery drowning it out. That's like almost 1 in 100 GAs are for a Caesar, but... 
maybe. Yeah. So, um, and then it says a recent prospective investigation identified an even higher instance of accidental awareness during obstetric surgery. So it, it, they stated one in 256 for all procedures and um, one in 202, 212 sorry, for seizures. Yeah. So, um, so that's quite high, isn't really it? Very high. high. So, yeah. Um, so in, just to clarify about the NEP5, wasn't, didn't they, they um, captured all the anaesthetics given for a whole year? Yeah, sorry. In yeah. the UK? Yeah. So it's like really powerful data. Mm. Yeah, and then so that, and then they managed to tease out how many people got awareness. So that's a huge number of people they studied. Mm. Um, so pretty scary that ten um, percent of them are obstetric patients. Mm. Mm. Uh, uh, they do mention a bit later though that. Um, sorry. What, oh no, I was going to say in those cases of awareness, yeah. TIVA was overrepresented. Oh, right, yeah, that's awesome. in um, in those cases. Yeah, mm, good. I think actually no. So I think in. Awareness in general, so not just so not the uh, obstetric cases. So in general, of all the cases of awareness in the NAP five study, which is all types of mm. surgery, um, TIVA was overrepresented, mm. and so that would, might make you think, well, maybe TIVA for GACs is, um, could be a risk factor for increasing awareness. awareness. And so that's and that's probably from all the things we've already talked about, like mm. not programming the pump properly. Forgetting to connect the syringe the driver, uh, for the propofol, you know, running it so it just fiends up on the floor, yeah. um, oh. and or not giving enough and just not knowing how to, to interpret the, the awareness monitor yeah. or the EG monitor. Yeah. But they do talk about um, maybe um, TIVA could actually lead to less awareness in some cases. Mm. Do you want to explain that? Because we talked about that before. Didn't we? Yeah, Pointed. we did. So... Um, in a volatile, when you're giving a volatile anaesthetic, you would induce your patient with propofol. You would then, um, propofol and possibly an opioid, you would then perform laryngoscopy. And then once you've got your tube in, you will then turn and turn your SIVO on and, you know, start your maintenance phase. Yep. Um, what you're alluding to there, Roger, is um, when you're using a propofol tea or anaesthetic technique, there's no uh, break in the system of of anesthetics so your induction dose and um, your maintenance dose there's no there's no there's no break there so you're continuing anesthetic yeah you're actually going to reduce your risk of awareness due to that yeah so um, i think when when they looked at actual cases like going back and looking at the actual awareness case mm. there were cases of quite a few obstetric cases where people had awareness where they were given a syringe of uh, well, they were given a dose for induction, and there was airway difficulties, and a lot of a period of time went by before mm. they could get the tube in. You know, having trouble getting it in, and patients had awareness during that. Mm-hmm. And if you had a syringe of uh, a, a TIVA syringe running in the whole time intravenously, mm. it would probably prevent that case of awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing was that there <coughs> were, you know, so thiopentone used to be a very common induction agent in fact in the UK at the time during the NAP5 they're probably more common than propofol that's right I'd have to go back and the, the, we've all heard of cases of people getting kefazol and, and a muscle mm, relaxant because right. it, <laughs> cause it look looks the same, same. Yeah. and so once again if you were using a TIVA technique that case of um, awareness also probably wouldn't have happened mm. yeah. so there's definitely cases where you might actually prevent awareness when yeah. you're using TIVA mm. so it's a sort of nuanced story it's hard to know what, yeah. what that means I think um, probably once again, if you're familiar with TIVA and you're very um, happy to do it safely and it's, it's yeah. a familiar technique, it's probably quite safe 
and you're probably unlikely to cause awareness in, mm. any greater than a volatile anaesthetic. That's mm. my personal take on it. I don't mm. know. Um, it's pretty hard to think that the 50 mil syringes is kefazolin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as long as it goes into their arm. That's right. Um, so they talk, they talked about that, and there was and there was a little another little bit in there that they talked about where they uh, a multi centre French study um, looked at um, the induction of anaesthesia with um, I think they were looking at using either propofol or other hypnotic drugs, and they they thought that if you use propofol to induce anaesthesia, uh, there were less airway difficulties. I don't know what that means. Mm. I was a bit confused by that. Maybe better intubating <laughs> conditions, blunted, yeah. mm, yep. blunted. Um, All right, we're getting here. Reflexes. What about what's the next thing we're going to talk about? We're almost at the end. Uh, uh, fetal effects on the fetus. Yeah. There was a really we didn't talk about this before before we started, but there was this really interesting section where they went on um, about oh yeah um, the uh, isolated forearm technique for awareness, which is really fascinating. <laughs> I do. Yeah. Um, it's where they like put a really um, a tourniquet on someone's arm so that so that whenever you give the so there's no um, muscle relaxants in that arm so they can still move it if they're, mm. if they're aware and then you like knock people out and then you say squeeze my fingers or whatever. I don't yeah. know what they do is that usually <laughs> what they do say squeeze my fingers or they just look for a random movement mm. uh, I think they say squeeze my fingers or and something. it's quite scary how many yeah. of them can can squeeze your fingers when you ask them to and then afterwards you say. Do you remember that? And they say, no, I don't remember anything. <laughs> anyway, I don't know what to make of that. I tried to summarise it, but I couldn't. But I definitely think if you're interested, go and read it because, if anything, it's, in- it's such an interesting technique that I've never seen anyone do in real life. But be a fascinating study. Well, Maybe a bit scary if we do I was something. I say, that sounds terrifying. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> the number of patients move, yeah. I think probably what we should talk about now is the effect on the fetus and the neonate. That's pretty relevant because we do worry about that, don't yeah. we? Traditionally, I remember I, I'm told years and years ago when um, obstetric anesthesia first started, people didn't even use volatiles. Um, they oh, only wow. used nitrous uh, after induction because they were worried that we we're going to um, over-sedate the fetus. Wow. So when I... Poor mum. Yeah. yeah when I, I know, and that's why there was apparently lots of awareness. So it used mm. to be like thiopentone, sucks, mm. tube... Just nitrous oxide until delivery, and then after delivery, Fine. you're allowed to add a volatile. And you'd hope you had the faster um, surgeon. Um, but the sense of awareness was really high, as, as you'd expect, because mm. nitrous oxide is not very potent, and um, um, it's probably pretty unreliable mm. for causing reliable amnesia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, scary. Um, so, what about you know remifentanil and propofol? If are they do they cross over and make the baby really sleepy and then our neonatology colleagues curse us because they all end up on a ventilator in NICU? Or what's, what's the evidence? Uh, so they're both lip... Oh, well, propofol is very lipophilic, so it does cross the placental barrier and yep. does yeah, potentially affect the fetus. Um, and it is sort of proportional to the propofol concentration in the maternal blood, so, um, and how long the baby's been exposed to. Yeah. So, I mean, whenever you're doing a GA section, you always, well, I always let the peds or neonates know that this is going to be a general anaesthetic. Um, I don't necessarily tell them if I'm using propofol or, or SIVO, yeah. 
mm-hmm. but I tell them if I'm using opioids and things. But I guess they, as long as they're aware that it's a general anesthetic, I think they'll know the baby comes out sleepy regardless. Yeah, mm-hmm. sometimes. Um, sometimes yeah. it doesn't come out yeah. that way. But yeah, I'm not sure if they've really compared propofol and SIVO in terms of... Yeah. So what, so what I read from that is that yeah. there hasn't ever been compared. Yeah. And that, so definitely, I don't know if we could make a statement saying that that one general anaesthetic drug is worse than another. Mm. Um, uh, what's I going to say? They have mentioned they did, a few APGAR scores. Yeah, they do mention here. APGAR scores, yeah. which are pretty reassuring, aren't they? They are, actually. Um, so they've just said that um, it's... It, just quoting, it's worth noting that a considerable number of neonates had one-minute APCAR scores of less than seven, but only a few had similar scores at five minutes. Um, all babies had an APCAR score over seven at ten minutes and did not require um, intubation. Yep. That's, so, yeah. it sound, so it doesn't sound like a big problem. They may just need a little bit of mm. CPAP, bit of peep, bit of... Yeah. yeah. And they do, uh, sorry we didn't mention it, but they do talk about remifentanil and how that seems to be very safe mm. in uh, neonates because they ma- can metabolise it as well and that wears off really mm. fast in both mothers and babies. So. Yeah. My take on this is, um, uh, from my observation, is that the longer the mothers are asleep... Mm. the more sleepy the baby yeah. is. So if you put um, induce in a general anaesthesia and then the baby comes out in the first five or ten minutes, it's not usually really flat. Yeah. It might might be a little bit sleepy for a few minutes, but it usually doesn't uh, get wheeled out of theatre intubated. But mm. um, sometimes you have a GACs where you, the woman's asleep for like an hour before mm. the baby even comes out, especially mm. those complicated procreators and yeah. things. Yeah. And then they do come out really flat. Yeah. But I presume you know, they're getting sevoflurane and propofol is crossing over and they're soaking up, soaking it up. Mm. I, I guess know. in a way it's the baby's first general anaesthetic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. It is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what's so what's our take on, we should go around and just, um, mm. what, what are, what's your take? So it's a good article, I thought it was a good article. Mm. It's really balanced and well written. It highlights the lack of sort of, sort of high level evidence in that most of our practice mm. is, um, Either based on what we were taught historically, like you know, there's no there's no studies saying that sevoflurane and nitrous are mm. better than Teva, really. Mm. Uh, there's no studies to support one or the other. Mm. Um, um, but I, I know my take would be. Oh, interested to hear you guys first. Yeah, well, it, yeah, it was an interesting read, and it created quite an interesting discussion amongst us. Um, I think my take on it is that Teva is safe, and it's safe in the in the safe in in the correct hands if it's something that you're not familiar with yep you know it's probably not the route that you want to go down um for a ga caesar but you know if you, if it's something that you do all the time certainly it's it's safe for the mother it's safe for the fetus yeah well there's no evidence mm. to say it isn't and there's yeah. there's, mm. there's there's plenty of um re, you know reasons why you might there might be benefits that yeah. could be worthwhile mm. yeah uh, what do you think? I think my take home is that, if anything, the article did raise a lot more questions and answers, and where in terms of yeah. more research and more mm. studies need to be done, really, to to confirm what we are thinking about Tiva in the non-obstetric population. But um, I would be happy to use Tiva, and I do use Tiva in GA sections, and I think if you're using it, just get the basics right, as mm. we suggested earlier. You know, good drip, connected. You know. Yep. And, and the main barrier, honestly, to me using it is just urgency of situation. So, you know, yeah. if I just don't have time to mm. do it all, then 
that's probably my main barrier out of all the barriers they've mentioned. But yeah, yep. but so I think, I think yeah, getting the basics right and doing it safely. That's yeah. yeah, I definitely agree. So I think in urgent situations, I will just induce and start the anaesthetic with the volatile yeah. uh, when there's no time. You want to get on with things. Mm. But um, I will be happy to change, uh, yeah. to, to use Teva from the start in less urgent situations, which are actually not that uncommon. Mm. You know, sometimes it's just maternal yeah. refusal there, mm. and I don't want a needle in my back. Or um, you've tried to do a spine or something, the block hasn't worked, and you just yeah. have to, you just want to pop them off to sleep, and mm-hmm. there's no you know, real urgency. There's plenty of time to draw up your, your um, syringes and put an uh, you know, entropy or bis monitor on and get everything ready um and then and also um if you're worried about your dry and tone during a pph i think it's reasonable to um uh, to change over as well mm-hmm. um or if you or even if it's just you know uh, the code blue cesarean is a mm-hmm. uh, baby's out and you you want to give them a good recovery and less mm-hmm. nausea you could change over yeah my big take home i agree exactly with you Preeta, is if you don't use teva regularly and you're not happy, and you're not that familiar with it, I definitely wouldn't do it. Yeah. I think it's something that you want, it's a technique that you should only really use if you're familiar with it. Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of other competing pressures on your brain and your mind and mm. distractions occurring in, a, in, a, yep. in an obstetric case. That, Absolutely. Um, the last thing you need is um, to be trying to do some unfamiliar technique. Yeah. All right. Thanks, everyone. Do you have a dad joke to finish off, Roger? <laughs> sperm donor, <laughs> a sperm donor, a carpenter, and Julius Caesar walk into a bar. He came, he saw, he conquered. I got more of a laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I was Googling um, caesarean jokes and I got Julius Caesar ones instead. <laughs> All right. I'm, glad, I'm glad you laughed because I actually told you before the podcast. <laughs> All right. Hope Thanks, Roger. Thanks. Thanks, everyone. Thank Cheers. you. go to the iTunes menu and subscribe to the show if you like it. Write a review. This will also help us uh, get seen by other listeners on the iTunes menu. If you're also interested, please go to our website at www.opsandguinecritcare.org where there will be lots of show notes and links to uh, interesting videos related to the topic that you've just listened to. See you again next time. The Opsandguine Crit Care Podcast would like to acknowledge the Wajak people as the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is produced. We recognise their continued connection to the land and waters of this beautiful place. We pay our respects to elders in past and present and extend that respect to all First Nations people.